I thought, well, I get to dress like me. <laughs> but it still feels, feels kind of weird. Before I turn to prayer for the sermon, I'd like to kind of set the tone. Oftentimes it gets easy for us to just say, let's turn to God. Sometimes I think we need a reminder. We need to stop and think about who it is that we're turning to talk to. And we say God, if we say the big guy upstairs. But let's think about it for a minute. He's not just God or the big guy upstairs. He created everything. He is God. And let me give you a little bit of perspective. I heard this on a video and it really just struck me. Okay, how big's the earth? I mean, it's kind of big. It's going to take a couple of days to walk around, right? The sun, which is several million miles away, you can fit 1.3 million earths inside the sun. Okay? I don't know if you can wrap your mind around that. 1.3 million Earths inside the sun. Now, when we talk about the sun, that's, that's pretty big, but it's not the biggest. You can fit 9.3 billion, that's with a B, 9.3 billion suns inside the largest star, which is V.Y. Canis Majoris. Wrap that one around your head a little bit. 9.3 billion suns into the largest star that we know of. Now, the God that we turn to worship is the God that created these planets. Now, I don't know about you, but when I speak, I have trouble getting the grandkid to come to me. And the dog, forget it. But God spoke. He just said, be. And these planets and all the others around them became. That's not just the guy, big guy upstairs. That's God. He speaks, and it happens. So I'm going to turn, and I'm going to ask blessings on this sermon. And let's think about that for a second. Heavenly Father, we ask that you Send your presence down amongst us, that you send the Spirit down amongst us. We know for you this is small stuff, and yet you still love us. You still care about us, not us as a whole, us as individuals. 
Send your spirit amongst us and help us to hear the words that you would have me speak. Help me say the words that you would have me speak. And have them fall on willing ears. As always, we pray these in all things. In our Lord Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Okay. This was probably one of the most complicated speeches I've ever, or sermons I've ever given. So I hope I put it together so that everybody understands what's going on. I'm going to start out with some things, and it's going to be kind of confusing, but they're all pieces of a bigger puzzle. And as I go through my sermon, I hope to piece that puzzle together for you. One of the pieces is choices and consequences. I attended a seminar by Lou Tice. He's a motivational guru that goes around, one of many. And during one of his sessions, he explains about, he's speaking to prisoners. These are prisoners, long-term violent prisoners that he's speaking to. And he's talking about choices. And one of the prisoners stands up. He says, what are you talking to us about prisoners, us prisoners, about choices for? We ain't got no choices. And Lutai said, I beg to differ. Think about this. You could, if you wanted to, get up right now and walk out of this prison. <laughs> the prisoner laughed at him. He says, no, there's no way. He says, I'd get shot before I got halfway across the yard. He says, oh, no, 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 no. no. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't confuse choices with consequences. He says, I didn't say getting up and walking out of the prison was a good choice. It is, however, a choice. The consequence of making a bad choice is you're going to get shot. He says, well, let's look at the other hand. He says, suppose for a minute you decided to stay here in prison. You're not being told that you have to be here in prison. You've decided that this is where I am. This is where I live. This is where I'm going to be for the next X number of years. What is that going to look like for you? He says, well, you've decided you're going to stay here. You would eventually like to leave. But what are you going to do while you're here? If you leave and don't do anything, in a few years, you'll end up back in here. That's been proven. That's why most of you are here already. He says, however, if you decide while you're here, to make other good choices so that when you do get out, you don't come back. Maybe you decide to go get a high school diploma. He says, some of you that may already have that, maybe you decide to take college classes. Maybe you decide to learn a skill so that you no longer have to go out and not find a job. Now when you go out, you can actually go to your parole officer and say, I've got this skill. Can you help me find a job? Those are the consequences of making good choices. So you have a choice. You can leave now or you can decide that you're here. You take the power away from the authorities and you take control of your life. 
For us Christians, that's the same thing. What if we decide that we're not going to sit on the sidelines anymore? What if we decide that we're going to believe what we read in the book? What if we decide that it's just not good stories? Maybe it really does happen. Not only did it, maybe did it really happen then, maybe it still happens now. That's a choice that we can all make. I'd like to tell you about a fellow that in my previous church used to sit on the right side of the congregation. It was just like this here. We had a mean aisle, left and right. And just for graphic purposes, let's say he sat in row F, seat 8. Seat F8R, let's call it. He was a lot like me. He had children, had a family, sat there dutifully every Sunday. Came, sang, listened to the sermon, shook hands had a donut, and left. He voiced to me one time, he says, this is getting boring. And I said, what do you mean it's getting boring? He says, well, the sermons aren't always the same, but pretty much. He says, this is all there is. I'm afraid to say I didn't have an answer for him. We'll come back to that. Junior, you got that video up for me? much instability, so much that we don't understand, that we don't know. For me, growing up, it was, uh, a lot of you guys know, my mom died giving birth to me, and my dad remarried, then my stepmom died in a car accident when I was nine, then my dad got married again, then my dad died of cancer when I was 12, and so I'm in junior high, my mom's dead, my stepmom's dead, my dad's dead, the only close relatives I had were my, my aunt and uncle, George and Sandra, and then when I was in high school, they got in a fight, and my uncle George shot and killed my aunt, and then stuck the gun to his own head killed himself so I'm 16 years old and this is life to me going man what's next everything seems to be falling apart and we get a little worried we get a little scared and this is what Christians do you know they try to serve God but then things get a little rocky and things get a little unstable and so we go okay that was nuts I don't I don't want to I don't want to live like that let me uh, let me hold on and this is your routine this is what so many people do. They go, you know what? I'm not going to try anything crazy. I'm just going to sit here and uh, I'm just going to hold on. And uh, this is what you look like. You just go, uh, this is what people do. You know what? I'm just going to have my nice little family. We're just going to, um, you know, we're just going to keep to ourselves. We're going to live in a gated community. I'm going to homeschool my kids, make them wear helmets everywhere. I'm going to... Um, you know, I'm not going to let him outside because son has bad rays. I'm going to, um, you know, just on and on and on. 
and you just live your life in the safety of, I don't want to do anything crazy for God. I just, I just want to, you know, go to church on Sundays and maybe give like 2%, um, and, uh, maybe serve, help the nursery, because I feel guilty. And then you do this your whole life, and then you, you go, your greatest prayer is like, God, you know what? I would love to die in my sleep and not even feel it, and then just go up to heaven. And so th- you want to die like this. Just in your sleep, ooh, right in the middle of a dream, good dream, the dream you're going to heaven and you don't even feel it. And then suddenly you wake up, you stand before the judge and you go. <laughs> now, if, uh, could you imagine, could you imagine watching the Olympics, you know? And some girl does that, just gets up there, starts straddling the thing, and then steps off and goes... What is the judge supposed to do on the card? You see, and to me, I go, man, that's the routine that so many Christians are headed for. That's the routine, the boring, I do nothing crazy because I don't want to fall. that's the routine that they're going to live and then one day it's going to be a shock because they're going to step off that balance beam and realize they're standing before the judge they're standing before the judge and you think he's going to look at that routine and go wow well done well done you lived the safest life possible you didn't slip you didn't fall See, that's not the life that God's called us to. That's where the majority will head. But I don't want to go where the majority goes. That's seat F8R. I don't know if I'm fooling anybody, but I was seat F8R. And I was beginning to wonder, what else? I can't do this much longer. And I started reading, and I started looking. If you ask Lisa, she'll tell you I read too much, and she would like that I finish some of it. But there's a trend going on. It's been going on for a long time. It's not just here at Countryside. It's churches all across the country. We play it safe. We talk a good game. We believe what's going on in here, but (laughs) I, I got other things to do. Going out and feeding the poor? Well, here's some money. I got other things I want to do. Baseball games to watch. Movies to watch. My kids got a baseball game. You want to come by and see that? There's a movie that came out several years ago. The title is called, Do You Believe? 
the beginning of it, there's an old man carrying a big old cross around the streets. And he'd walk up to cars and he'd go, do you believe? And then carry on a conversation with whatever answer. Well, in this movie, he walks up to a car and it happens to be a pastor that's driving. And he says, do you believe? And he says, well, I'm a pastor, so yeah, I do believe. And he says, oh, okay, that's great. He says, tell me something. If you believe, what are you doing about it? Well, this is a movie, and they've got good writers, so he had to admit that he was disturbed about that. But that's a question that we all need to ask and answer, isn't it? If I believe, what am I going to do about it? I've got some verses that I want to read. I didn't have these written up for the scripture reader. Joshua 24. Choose you this day who you will follow. As for me and my household, we will follow the Lord. You see that in a lot of posters and stuff. But let's stop and think about what that verse came from. Joshua had all of Israel standing in front of him. The tribe leaders, the 12 tribes, the followers, the leaders, deacons and elders, if you will, of Israel. Thousands of people. They knew what had happened getting them to where they were. They knew at this point what God was capable of. Because before this, they had walked around Jericho and saw the walls fall. They'd fought the battles. They went in with 300 men against 10,000 and won. They knew what God was capable of. And yet, God tells Joshua to call them together. And he has to tell them, choose you this day. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river of the flood Or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. Choose you this day. One or the other. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Why did they have to be told to choose? They knew who they followed. They knew what God was capable of. Yet they had to be told to choose. Possibly because as humans, we tend to forget. Or maybe it was that, you know, this is, this is hard. You're asking an awful lot, you know, God. So we want it our way. We want it watered down so that it's easier to swallow. Kind of like medicine, you know, put a little sugar in it. It's not always easy. From Revelations 3, 
I don't know if how many of you have read Revelations. I've gone to two Bible studies on this, two rather extensive Bible studies on this, and I can tell you I don't know nothing about it. It's kind of scary stuff. But it's interesting, especially if you're a sci-fi fan. Revelations 3, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, and the beginning of the God of creation. I know your works, and that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. He didn't like the taste of that. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him, and he with me. This is in Revelations. This is the end of the Bible. There are many, many instances that hold that same promise. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my name and opens the door, to him I will come in. We have that promise. But he doesn't like you being lukewarm. And there's one other one, Matthew 16. Uh, Revelations was 3, 14 through 17, if any of you are keeping notes. In Matthew 16, verses 13 through 15, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am, the Son of Man? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Then he said to them, Who do you say that I am? I've got more, but I want to stop in that. That's a question he asked his disciples. That's a question he asks all of us. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Wait a minute. Are you telling me that God talks to me? God reveals himself to me? Well, that's, that's what it says here. Jesus told Simon that. The reason I picked these three verses was we have to make a choice. The decision is ours to be made, and we have to make it. God does not force himself on us. Jesus does not force himself on us. It's a choice that we have to make. We can say yes or no. But there's no in-between stuff. He doesn't like that. No cold or hot. We like things simple. We want to be fat, dumb, and happy. There's a movie out. I'm going to date myself. There might be some some of you that don't remember this movie, but The Karate Kid, the very first one, 
I think it might have came out before some of you were born. I'm not sure. <laughs> Mr. Miyagi's talking to, I can't even remember his name. Daniel, yes, thank you. And he asks, he says, so are you ready to learn karate? And Daniel says, well, I guess so. And he says, well, you guess so. Why, why you guess so? He says, I, I don't know. And he says, let me tell you something. He says, karate do you yes? Okay. Karate do no? Okay. Karate do yes, I guess so? Sooner or later, squash, just like grape. No in-between stuff. It's not good. Yes or no? And more importantly, and perhaps I could say this and stop. I'm not going to, but God wants us to believe. He wants us to really believe. He wants all of us. And that's the hard part. That's the hardest part of all. He doesn't want you part of the time. He doesn't want you some of the time. He doesn't want you maybe. He doesn't want maybe yes, maybe no. Because sooner or later, God knows, squish just like grape. He also knows that if we take the middle road, we become content. It's easy. We can come here and seat F-A-R, sing the songs, drink the wine, eat the bread, eat a donut, go home. No commitment, no rough stuff. If we're attending church out of duty... It's the wrong reason. If you don't want to get up on Sunday morning and come to church to hear what's being done, to hear about what God has done in someone's life, and to worship God, you're coming for the wrong reasons. I'm sorry, Laura, but it's not about the music. It's not about how we do things. I don't know if you all know this, but you do it wrong. I mean, the Lutheran church does it pretty good, but it's all backwards here. It's not even about the pastor. It's not about the sermon even. It's about what's in your heart and why you came here. We come here to worship, and that's what it's about. But that's only part of it. He wants all of you here. Better pick it up, Pastor. Football game starts in a half an hour, and I got a 20-minute drive getting home. (coughs) It's about God and worshiping him. Too many of us want to play it safe. Nothing too fancy, nothing too risky. But Jesus makes a few things quite clear. And it's in the red letters if you want to read them. We have to count the cost. 
He tells us what the cost will be. And he tells us what the consequences will be if we aren't willing to pay the cost. He also tells us if we aren't willing to pay the cost, we can't be his disciples. In Matthew 24, he says, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Those are simple words. What do they mean? Does he mean putting on a, a pretty cross? Maybe one with a little little jewels in it or something? And you go down to the mall and walking around, showing it off? I don't think so. He's talking about a big wooden cross right there in front of you. And he wants you to pick it up and carry it with him and be crucified. With him. It's a heavy cross. The one advantage you have is that you won't be whipped to within your last breath like he was. And we have to remember that he did that for us. Luke 14, 25 through 33. Now great multitudes multitudes went with him, and he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down and first count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down and first consider whether whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes with 20,000? Would he not determine to make peace instead? That's the cost. He laid it out for us. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that has come and has not who does not forsake all, that he is cannot be my disciple. Some hard words. Like I said, I was seat F, eight R. And you begin to wonder, what's next? What else? You're asking a lot here, Jesus. You're asking a lot. And we begin to wonder, why? Why should I pay this price? James 1, 20 through 27 
It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. And he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. Well, there's a little bit of a glimpse. I can have God's blessing, not just my neighbor's blessing. I can have God's blessing. We don't get to tell God what he's going to be, what things are going to be like. We don't get to tell him how we're going to worship him. We don't get to define God. Remember when I talked about earlier, he speaks and planets appear. Not just little ones like rocks on the ground. Big planets. We can't put limitations on God. That was part of what was happening with the Israelites. God had done all these great things, but thanks God that we, we got it now. We, we, we don't get to do, we, we got it good now. We don't want to get too wild with things. We got the milk, we got the honey. We got it pretty easy. Not that they earned any of it. They didn't plant the vineyards. They didn't produce the bees that made the honey. God got it for them. So, okay, we're good. I said earlier that there's a trend in the churches. We're wanting to play it safe. There's a lot of churches in play here. There's a church here, countryside. There's a church there, Peace Lutheran. There's a church, the church body. There's also a church here. Who's the head of your church? Who's in charge of all of your churches? If someone asks you who's in charge of your church and you say me, or you say John, no, you're wrong. I don't know if you maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't. If God is your co-pilot, you're in the wrong seat. I've heard people say, God doesn't talk to me. He doesn't do things to me. And I have to ask him, when did you stop listening? Or were you even ever really listening? I like to tell the story. I had a presentation I was putting together. I had some music for it. Couldn't remember one of the songs. And I was working on this. I was trying to put it together in my head. And I'm listening to the radio while I was driving down the street. And I said, all right, God, I'm just going to have to. I can't remember the name of that song. 
What do you think the next thing on the song, next song on the radio was? God doesn't always hammer you over the head with it. God doesn't always say, this is what you're going to do. He has told us, he says, you will hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right or to the left. But he doesn't stand there and tell you this is the way it's going to go. Not always. Sometimes it's just in them subtle little moments when he puts the right song on the radio at the right time. Why do we need to choose? Because he chose us first. He chose us. I doubt that there's too many of anybody in this room that hasn't heard John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He chose us. He even gave his own son. For us. What more could he could he offer? In Isaiah forty three, one through three. But now says the Lord, who created you, and he who formed you, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. He chose us. This is out of Isaiah. He was talking to Israel at that time, but... Guess what? We're part of Israel now because of Jesus. So those words are not only to Israel alone. They are to each one of us. God will be there. He's called you by name. He chose you. How well did he choose you? Well, let's look at Psalms 139. I'm not going to read. Do you ever have a chance to look that up? Psalms 139, because that whole psalm is really, really cool. I'm reading from 12 through 14. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night, the night shines as the day. This is the psalmist talking to God. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. You formed my innermost parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. And I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works that my soul knows very well. God knows us. He chose us. He knew us before we were born. He knew us before we were us. 
All we have to do, all we have to do is choose. The cost is great. But so is what we receive. Christ made, paid the ultimate price so that we had a choice to come to God. Hebrews 25. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape and refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shall shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken. As of those things that are made, the things that which cannot be shaken will remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Our God is a consuming fire. You heard Darren say it once before. He wants all of us. He wants us to be consumed with him. May the grace of God and the peace of everlasting be with us all. Amen.